Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline.com. And this is Doc Talk. And this is, as you and I, Matt, sit and record this, this is... We're getting to go time in uh, Hollywood in terms of documentaries, in terms of all films, but in terms of documentaries, this is the big time of year. As you and I speak, the uh, Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences shortlist of feature length, as well as doc shorts, but we're going to concentrate on feature length docs, has just come out. And this is the first year that I get the opportunity to speak with. I've said this many times, Matt, you're one of the most, if not the most, knowledgeable individuals working around the doc space. Oh, well, thank so you. as someone who enjoys documentaries, <laughs> me, it's actually really exciting to be able to sit and and dissect and talk about um, this list of films that have thus far been recognized by their peers and, and by the Academy. So excited to speak with you. I want to jump in and start. Uh, I'm going to start just reading through the list of films and congratulating everybody who uh, made the short list, and genuinely as well, commiserating with those who didn't. It's it's a tough time of year. I've been through it personally, but to everybody, um, and we've seen a lot. I know you've seen a lot, Matt. I've seen many films, and they're extraordinary, and it's always difficult to decide, you know, yeah, absolutely with quotes. Um, so very quickly, going through and congratulating those who did make the short list, there's American Symphony, Apollonia, Apollonia, Beyond Utopia, Bobby Wine, The People's President, Desperate Souls, Dark City, and The Legend of Midnight Cowboy, The Eternal Memory, Four Daughters, Going to Mars, The Nikki Giovanni Project, In the Rear View, Stamped from the Beginning, Still, a Michael J. Fox movie, A Still Small Voice, 32 Sounds, To Kill a Tiger, and 20 Days in Marpole. So congratulations to um, all those individuals who, who made it onto the shortlist. All right, 15 films out of 167. So wow. it's it's a brutal culling of, uh, you know, those that advance and then have a shot at earning a place on the, uh, earning a nomination, which is the next yeah. step, of course. Yeah, I, I, I want to start, Matt, the, the last time you and I talked, um, put you on the spot a little bit, threw you a bit of a, a curveball, and ask you if um, you had a prediction or a thought or, or a trend or a way that you thought the shortlist might go. And your response, which I thought was really smart at, at the time, still think it's pretty smart, um, <laughs> you thought that there would be a, a good representation of international films on this year's list, that the Academy has done a really good job of expanding its presence internationally, and that you would just see that reflected. Do you feel like that prediction was, uh, that it held up uh, when you when you look at this list? Yes, I do. Not to pat myself on the back. Uh, <laughs> really, for you. If, if I'm patting anyone on the back, it would be the documentary branch, which determines mm. the shortlist. 
And uh, as we've discussed, discussed with Roger Ross Williams, who was a former governor who really spearheaded the campaign to expand the international dimension of the dock branch. And that happened going back five, six years ago. And it really has had a huge impact on the kind of films that are recognized. And I think we do see that on this list. Uh, for instance, Apollonia, Apollonia. This is by mm-hmm. Leah Globe, a Danish documentarian. That film does not have U.S. distribution. It's on the list. It won uh, the big prize at IDFA a year ago, over a year ago now. But again, it hasn't even been seen in the U.S. It's on the list. Bobby Wine, the People's President. This is more prominent because it's from Nat Geo, but it is about Bobby Wine. Of course, we interviewed on Doc Talk, the Ugandan pop singer. So that's not, in, in some ways, an obvious choice, just in terms of the subject of the film. Four Daughters is by Kauta Banhanya, who is a Tunisian director that won the or shared the top prize for documentary at the Cannes Film Festival. So that's that's not widely known in the U.S. at this point. And just looking down the list, you know, in the rear view is from a Polish filmmaker we also had on Doc Talk, Maja Kamela. That also does not have, really has not been seen in the U.S. at this point. It does have a distributor, small distributor film movement. Uh, but it's, you know, it's it's not like it was backed by a major streamer. And one could also include To Kill a Tiger, which is kind of a Canadian Indian production. Nisha Pahuja is the director of that film. It's about uh, an Indian family and uh, the where the daughter was the victim of a horrible sexual assault and the father really pressed for justice also doesn't really have major distribution. But those are all, you know, among the films anyway that have that international dimension to them. I, I could actually add, I should add, the Eternal Memory, which is by yeah. Maite Alberti, the Chilean filmmaker. And she is now, uh, stands a chance of earning her second Oscar nomination. She was nominated just a few years ago for The Mole Agent. So, yeah, I really do. I did feel that the international members of the doc branch would be heard from. And I do think we see that in the shortlist. So those are, uh, you know, the prediction you made and and, and you, you saw, and, and like you said, you know, the, the Academy making those moves. Uh, you also mentioned um, Roger Ross Williams being the president at the time, and he is um, nominated this year, stamped from the beginning. Uh, so yeah, you know, seeing somebody do right and, uh, you know, behind the scenes and do right in front of the, or behind the camera, but with his work, that's pretty remarkable. Let's talk real quickly about, you wrote an article as this list came out and, you know, every year there are the things that make it or, or things that surprise in a good way. And there are the things where it's maybe a little surprising, uh, well, let's call them what they tend to be called snubs, people who got left off, off the list. You mentioned a, a couple of folks, maybe not to you a surprise that were left off, but certainly prominent individuals who um, you know normally are, are quite recognized by their peers. But uh, Errol Morris, uh, his documentary Pigeon Tunnel wasn't on the list, and Frederick Wiseman, his documentary was also left off the list. Were you surprised by those? You mentioned them, or is it, hey, in, in the group that we had, they're certainly talented filmmakers, just wasn't their year? Well, I, I, I don't think I was all that surprised. I mean, there are some pre-shortlist award shows for documentaries that come out, so you get a little bit of a sense of what's getting traction. I think the, the Oscar shortlist always has some surprises on it. But uh, the 
the pigeon tunnel, I think, has been very much admired, uh, even among the films by Errol Morris, and there's a large number of them. <laughs> but in his case, I think he, one could say that he's a victim of his own success, <laughs> in the sense that if this was the first film we had seen by, wow, this, this guy named Errol Morris, he's come out with this film, and it is fantastic. Uh, we would really be quite wowed by it. Most of the films that are on the list, in, in some ways, are really more overtly about big issues. You've got two films about Ukraine, 20 yeah. Days in Mariupol, and In the Rear View, stand from the beginning about racism, Going to Mars, the Nicky Giovanni Project, which is about the poet, the famed poet, but in its own way is very much about race in America and, and how it really blunts the progress and talents of African-American people in a, in a systemic fashion. The Eternal Memory is really about Chile and its recovery of its own national memory, if you will, after the Pinochet years. You know, sp specific, a love story about a man who develops Alzheimer's and his wife, Paula Urrutia, who really stands by him in the, in the midst of that illness. But it's about much larger themes. So hmm. that's one observation I would make about uh, Errol Morris. Fred Wiseman does, typically does a film per year. He just turned 94, which yeah. is absolutely stunning. I interviewed him. Uh, he was in Paris at the time. So, and again, I think that if, if we saw this is the first film by, by this unknown guy named Fred Wiseman, we would be absolutely wowed. It is a really magnificent achievement. It is four hours long, and I think yeah. that is tough. <laughs> there are a lot of voters. <laughs> Doc Branch yeah. are like, oh, man, I don't know if I can deal with four hours. But yeah. he, does his, he does what he does, which is to investigate. Sometimes it's, it's the thumbnail is he looks at institutions and talking with them, I think, uh, Manolo Dargas, the New York Times critic, really kind of put a fine point on this, that he's really looking more at organizations. I mean, there's an overlap there in terms of what mm. that means. But um, anyway, it's, it's a great film. Menu plaisir, les trois gros. Look at you. I just like saying the title. I just love saying <laughs> the title. So. Can you order? If I, you know, if I dropped you off in Nice, can you order a meal? It, I'm very depends. impressed. If you pay for it. Because it's not cheap. <laughs> if you That's can order, then I'll, I'll, I'll spring. That's I about will the best happily, I can do. happily order. I learned more about Matt Carey week by week. <laughs> this is absolutely amazing. <laughs> I want to ask you about, or, or just uh, let's talk about Desperate Souls, Dark City, and The Legend of Midnight Cowboy. And uh, this is by Nancy... Bierski. Nancy Bierski. Um, who passed away uh, this last year. I had not seen this uh, documentary and. When the list came out, I, I got home last night and I sat down and I watched it. Um, oh, Midnight Cowboy. Great. I mean, to begin with, it's one of my favorite. Yeah, film. I mean, John it's Schlesinger film. Amazing. You wrote about this film, by the way. I went here's. I want to just stop for a second. Matt Carey. I I kind of kid on the square often about how immersed you are in in the journalism surrounding documentaries but um you had basically written about every film that is on the shortlist obviously you've written beyond that as well but i when the shortlist came out i went through and started <laughs> reading what you wrote pulling some quotes just seeing 
um, how you contextualize these films. And I really encourage folks, um, particularly people who love documentaries, now that the shortlist is out, go back, hit deadline.com, look up Matt's writing. Oh, well, um, thank you. Because it really, it, it's a treasure. And I really appreciate, Matt, that you are thoughtful in your writing. You don't overpraise for the sake of praising. You, you don't necessarily always condemn things even in your reviews, which as someone who puts things out, I appreciate when people can be <laughs> gracious. But you know, there are people who are gracious in their um, problems that they find in things. And there are other people who just like to sharpen those pencils. People should really go back and read some of these. But I want to read something that you wrote about Desperate Souls, Dark City, and The Legend of Midnight Cowboy, because I think for a lot of younger audiences, they can't imagine what it was like when this film came out at that time. Midnight Cowboy, this is your writing, was no studio confection shot on a soundstage. Schlesinger, John Schlesinger, filmed on location in Texas and in New York, approaching its nadir of crime, decay, and bankruptcy. The movie contains moments of nudity, including a sequence helpfully described by IMDb's parent guide as depicting a fully nude man thrusting on top of a woman. His clenching butt is seen briefly. Now, that sort of <laughs> that begins to sound like a romance novel to me. Um, you continue. More shocking for a 1969 audience, the movie opened a lens onto the underground gay life. Midnight Cowboy premiered in theaters a month before the Stonewall uprising that ignited the modern gay rights movement. So we're talking about a movie that dealt very frankly with uh, sex, with hustling, with crime, um, with a desire you know, John Voight's character to, to be someone with alienation, otherization, uh, obviously Dustin Hoffman, Ratso Rizzo. It was a really amazing film. And I know Nancy has just been part of this documentary community, but to watch this last night, it was pretty powerful all the way around, incredibly shot and some amazing, you know, that opening with John Voight, just mm. talking about that moment was like, oh my God. It's like going to church. Yeah, I I was very felt very very privileged uh, in June to speak at length with Nancy Bursky and uh, about the film and and also I happened to have read the book that uh, her film was based on it, but she really departs very much from the book. That had a lot to do with the casting of John Voight, the casting of Dustin Hoffman. You know, it's very interesting to learn that John Voight was not the first choice by any means for that role that then became so identified with him. So the, the, the book is a little bit more preoccupied with that. I think Nancy's, in some ways, her, her major project was to tie that film into its time hmm. and to see how it was, in some ways, an examination of the Vietnam War as much as anything. And it's certainly so poignant to see her film, her name, on the short list. The film was produced by Nancy and also by Simon Kilmurray, who's the former head of the IDA, and Susan Margolin. And, and again, this is a, 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 real, a small film in the sense that it mm. doesn't have a big distributor behind it, and yet it did make the short list. I know there's a lot of anxiety about, among filmmakers who feel like, wow, if I don't have a huge streamer behind me, I don't have Netflix money, I don't have whatever it is, now Geo, Apple, TV Plus, money. I don't have a prayer of getting on the shortlist. Well, this is one example where that actually is not true. And uh, Nancy was really a beloved figure in documentary. She had many projects that she was actively working on. 
So her death was was very sudden, very unexpected, really hit the documentary community very hard. You know, one of the film's documentaries that she had directed was The Loving Story, which Mm. was about Loving versus Virginia, the wound up at the Supreme Court and ended anti-miscegenation laws in the United States. That later on became Loving, which she was a producer on. The narrative fictionalized version of the story was kind of introduced a lot of people to Ruth Nega and Joel Edgerton playing the couple, the Lovings and that. So she had a big impact on documentary, but also in the feature film realm. And I think many, many people are just... Absolutely thrilled to see that film on the short list for its merits. Yeah. Because it's uh, really a, a wonderful film. Talking about films that personally I was I was happy to see on and maybe a little surprised, not in a bad way, in a really good way. And a film in particular I was really pulling for this year that made the list beyond Utopia. Yes, um, directed I was going to ask you. I, I Madeline knew that you Gavin. would be very happy about that. When we started this show, when we talked about working together and doing the show, the first documentary I wanted to see and get on this list was Beyond Utopia. It's a film to me that does not disappoint. And we talk all the time about storytellers that are willing to go there to get a story, to to go and put themselves in harm's way. Beyond Utopia is, is a film about individuals who are escaping North Korea And we hear these stories and we make assumptions about the government there, what they're doing. But to see footage of people being tortured, to see footage of life in North Korea, not the propaganda that's shown us. And and trust me, I I think the majority of countries, however we feel about them, obviously they're selling themselves. But uh, it's just brutal. It's just brutal. And how Beyond Utopia makes it uh, immediate, the individuals who they follow, um, the ups, the downs, the the successes and the failures, and the failures in a story like this are, you know, these, it's about life and death, literally. It's just an amazing film. And another one, Matt, I believe, did not for, for quite some time have any distribution. Came out of Sundance, I think, quite strongly, um, and then had nothing. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yes, I I think that's one of the notable things about the list, just to step back a sec, is to look at the influence of Sundance. And historically, certainly going back 20 years or more, a disproportionate number of the films that wind up getting Oscar nominations or certainly appearing on the shortlist have originated at Sundance. And that's again true this year. I counted seven, I may have that Mm. wrong, but seven of the 15 premiered at Sundance, and it just uh, shows the continuing influence of that festival. It's still the premier launching place. There are some films on the list that premiered at Telluride, a couple anyway that premiered at TIFF. So it's not as if, you know, it's Sundance or nothing. 
But, uh, you know, the, the festival has gone through quite a few leadership changes in recent years. And I was wondering, last January, whether it would still have the kind of influence it has. And, you know, I have to say, they, again, are are playing a big role in, in what gets seen and what gets considered and what gets on the shortlist, including the winner of the U.S. prize for documentary at Sundance that's going to Mars, the Nikki Giovanni Project, and the winner of World Cinema Documentary at Sundance, The Eternal Memory that we mentioned by Maite mm-hmm. Alberti. But it's more than that. It's uh, a still small voice premiered at Sundance. Also, as we've been discussing, Beyond Utopia. So that was a very circuitous way of, <laughs> of returning the conversation <laughs> to Beyond Utopia. It's a really remarkable achievement. And I was not surprised to see it there. I think it is definitely a strong contender to, to earn a nomination. Yeah, I was uh, happy to see it there. Um, I had a few that I liked, not quite. Uh, Going yes, through the list one I last time. And you I'm are going to be disappointed by some. King Cole. I know. Uh, here's what you're. I spent the favorites. evening sort of rehearsing how I do this show because I want to, you know, you, you want to celebrate everyone. Um, you don't want to make anyone who didn't make the list feel badly. You want to promote the just the, the the joy of filmmaking and storytelling and the power of it as you know though matt i am beyond disappointed uh that king cole didn't make the list and mm. i'm 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 not surprised and i'm not saying this yeah you know yeah. against the uh the the academy of the dock branch or anything like that and i'm not surprised for two reasons and i say well, the first one kind of kidding on the square if there's something that i like if there's something that i find interesting i guarantee you Nobody else finds it interesting. And I don't want to say nobody because King Cole, people like it, but I could almost, I want to apologize to the filmmakers because I guarantee you the minute that my energy came anywhere near the film, it just uh, well. took it in a different direction. But I will also say... You're the cooler? And, Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I am. I'm the, I'm the guy, I'm working the uh, casinos in Reno and when, you know, things get a, a, you know, a little out of hand... Somebody comes up, hey, John, go, go, you go over to table 12. Just sit there for a minute. <laughs> Shut them down. Um, and, and what I'm going to say now, I also don't want it to come across as saying, oh, you know, the Doc Branch or the Academy or other filmmakers or peers. But I do believe King Cole was just on a, in my opinion, another level. And I just feel like what it was about and its approach and just this amazing blend of art and essence that was so meditative. You know, I, I felt the way when I saw Feyadia, yes. where it's just, I, people are not going to like this. Or people are going to go, oh, it's interesting and it's arty, but it's not really about something or it doesn't, you know, what is it about? I'm, I'm there and I'm feeling it and I'm seeing it and it's all pretty, but what is it about? And I felt, again, we, we, we had uh, just talk about feeling transported, being aware of my own biases, Seeing a place, seeing people, and and to me, if you put this in any other place, if it was in Russia now during the war, and we go, oh, I see Russia differently. The things that you know, you you talked about mm. with with Errol Morris. Oh, if Errol had done this as the Pigeon Tunnel as his first film, people would have been wowed. I think if King Cole had been set in a place that we would have looked and go, oh my, oh my God, you you've you know, it, it's war torn Libya, yeah, but I'm seeing point. it differently. Oh, it's Afghanistan, but I'm seeing it differently. 
the reaction may have been different to me to be reminded that there's a part of America that I feel like I wouldn't be welcome. And maybe I would be, uh, not maybe I'm saying I would think this way or that way, the way that it's presented the craft, you know, again, to have a breath artist doing all the audio effects, the way it was shot, Mm. it's, I could go on and 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 on. But, um, again, not surprised didn't make it very disappointed, but I would certainly say of the, of the films that didn't make the list that King Cole is top of my list of things. That I feel like this is a hard direct snub. The only thing I will, will say is that you got to be part of the conversation to even be called a snub. So I, I just give all praise to King Cole for fighting, for being part of the conversation Frontline is represented on the shortlist with 20 Days in Mariupol. Yes. So uh, this is Mrslav Chernov is the director who's Ukrainian. He won the Pulitzer Prize for his coverage of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And he was in the in Mariupol for the first 20 days. Well, actually more than that, uh, but saw that city be absolutely decimated by Russian shelling and bombing. That's a super powerful film. So, again, you know, Frontline and PBS, they do not have a lot of money compared to other entities to promote films, to try to campaign for them. So it's quite notable that they made the list with that film, which is super powerful. Um, Incredibly powerful. I'm going to, if you don't mind, I'm going to read what you wrote about the film. What they documented were horrors to deeply shock the conscience. Russian missiles striking civilian targets, tanks branded with the Russian Z, firing on apartment buildings and homes, defenseless people sheltering wherever they could. I woke up from bombing today, a little girl tells Chernov, tears streaming down her cheeks. I don't want to die. But so many children, elderly people, civilians of every age do perish in the hideous attack. Four-year-old Evangeline dies in a hospital from shelling injuries. Um, This is a quote now. Film how these mother effers are killing civilians, an outraged doctor claims. Um, That's you writing about the film, 20 Days in Maripol. And um, yeah, it's an incredibly powerful documentary. Again, I'm the funny thing to me is like I once I've started work again working with you, Matt, and we watch documentaries. I was how many documentaries I just you know you sit you look at the infinite scroll on Netflix. No, no, not trying to piss on Netflix. You're like I'm not okay. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Then I go to my my PBS tile, and there are just docs and docs and docs that I love. So I end up watching many of these. And and you're right, they're incredibly powerful. And I how you contextualize the horrors of it. We read, we see, and unfortunately forget when you see what's going on now that like, oh, Ukraine, that's last year's war. That's not mm. the quote unquote sexy war right now. I, I know I'm, I'm using language. I'm not trying to um, intentionally provoke, but um, this is happening now. And while we can, where we can to support these causes, we need to. But this is the kind of film that reminds you that this is brutality. This is not, you know, some light conflict or something like this this is this is brutal if, if if there is such a thing as a gentleman's war i was certainly struck very recently in in december of president zelensky's visit to washington he was not able to get this aid to military aid to his country unlocked 
which is supported by the Biden administration and has been, you know, caught up in Congress. But it, it occurred to me that a film like In the Rear View, it's the best argument for <laughs> continuing aid to Ukraine because you see these civilians again in that film, Macha Camilla's film. It, it's the children, I think, that you m- remember and strike you most poignantly. There's one scene in that film. He, he shot it in a minivan. You know, he volunteered after the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. He's living next door in Poland. He's a Polish filmmaker of his own volition. He buys a minivan, like, I got to go into Ukraine and rescue people and drive them to safety in Poland. Well, the film consists of people just talking to a camera that's pointed them, you know, they're in the back seat, camera's pointed at them. They're talking about their experience. There's a little girl who looks out the window at one point and says, Oh, pretty, not bombed at all. Mm. This is a rare village or town that hadn't been bombed yet. And just when you realize this is her entire frame of reference now is destruction. Yeah. Uh, boy, it, it, it sinks in. And again, you know, one would hope every member of Congre- Congress would see that film as well as all sorts of other Americans. But, you know, those are films that, you know, speak to the heart and and potentially can move the needle in terms of our politics. Yeah. So, Matt, not to put you on the spot again, but as, as we <laughs> wrap, we've we've got these 15 films. The next step is yes. from shortlist to nomination. Care to offer up any predictions, insight, prognostication about mm-hmm. what may happen as as we get down to these final films? Wow, it's going to be very interesting, of course. This is not me dodging, by the way. Um, I I will offer, you know, a a few thoughts about that. But just parenthetically, the documentary branch also determines the nominees. So, uh, but once a film is nominated, then the eventual eventual vote for Best Documentary Feature, right, is is open to you. I know you're a member of a different branch of the Academy, so you'll yeah. get your chance to weigh in. <laughs> so this is oh, in yeah. some ways I'm, I'm in my own stage. branch. I'm off in the corner of the Academy. <laughs> a branch of <laughs> one. They're like, yeah, you go, oh, yeah, John's, and we go, over it, here. It really looks like a room closet. Ridley no, no, no. Uh, no, this is the nicest. Uh, so for you, you, you I, 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 I would be you, a member I, of your branch. I, I told my son last night, never bet on anything that eats. I'm, I'm pretty sure the doc branch eats. So would you bet on, <laughs> on anything here? Would you bet on any I way that they're uh, going to go? Yes. I, I think American Symphony has emerged as a favorite. Yeah. Um, this is the film, Matthew Heineman's film, about the musician Grammy winner John Baptiste. And it's also about John Baptiste's wife, Suleika Jouad, who, uh, you know, John was having this unbelievable year, you know, nominated for a slew of Grammys and kind of on the very same day that he earned these Grammy nominations and he's on top of the world, his his wife is told that her cancer has returned and she has to go back for more chemotherapy. So it's it's a very, again, very emotional story. It's really connected with people. It doesn't hurt that there's a prominent uh, guy at the center of it, John Baptiste. A, a few uh, prominent people. That. You said that. I was thinking of the other <laughs> prominent guy and and individual who are behind this film, um, President Obama and and the First Lady, obviously 
Michelle Obama yes. are behind it. Their production company uh, produced it. Yes, and and I must say that you know the Obamas have been remarkably successful. I mean, in some ways, what they're doing is they're playing a curatorial role. By and large, I think it's fair to say that they are not producing documentaries from the ground up. They are seeing completed documentaries and mm. thinking, you know what, this fits with who we are as people, what our values are. It's not going to get us into too much trouble, I would say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's not. So, it doesn't have all the edges, you know, sanded off of it so that it means nothing at all. Right. But they have won an, an Academy Award for American Factory a few years yeah. ago. They were nominated for Crip Camp. They have a really, really good chance, I think, of earning an Oscar nomination and maybe even winning for American Symphony. So they they and their company deserve a lot of credit. It's, it's quite something that they're back in the race. This film also got uh, scored um, shortlists uh, musical score, original song. It, it, it yes. definitely has a lot of attention. Um, yes, it's and quite I th the list. Go ahead, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say that you also have to look at once something does get into, does get a nomination, it does change the dynamic. At that point, it's going to be a film that is accessible to the whole Academy that's going to win. Hmm. If American Symphony is nominated and it, or... If still a Michael J. Fox movie is nominated, I think those become the front runners to win. I would absolutely agree. I think they're both incredible documentaries in their own right. But I will say, and, and I, I mean this, um, not I, not to denigrate anything, whether these films or other films, but I think you make a really good point that there are formulas. There are certain, you know, if it is about Hollywood, if it is, um, as you say, accessible, if, if well, all the branches can find something in it, whether it's music, writing, performance, uh, either in the work or as it's represented, I think it will do very well. And I, I would absolutely agree, as much more of a layperson than you, you know your stuff, that those two, should they be nominated, they would be front runners. Um, Matt, incredible talking to you. Um, the, your ability. Well, I, can, I can sense <laughs> that you are about to wrap up, which I'm gonna, inevitably we have to do, but before you do that, I have okay. to say, yes, we haven't talked about the the shorts short list, but we this didn't. is patting ourselves on the back a little bit. But our our dear friend, if I may call her that, certainly yes. uh, someone we interviewed, Sheila Nevins, being on the list with her directorial debut, the ABCs of book banning. That that's really pretty amazing. That it, at the age of eighty four, she's got her film on the short list, and we interviewed her. We interviewed her. You've spoken to her many times. First time that I spoke to her, I would love at some point to put that entire interview up because it just, it goes places. <laughs> she amazing. is so accomplished, so humble, so nurturing, um, so open in her conversations. And no, we did not get to the short list. And I saw that and I wanted to say something, but I don't want to put my thumb on, on, on the scales too much. So to all those on the short list, and we may... Uh, post uh, holidays, maybe we'll dive into the shortlist a little bit. Uh, but congratulations to all those individuals. But yes, uh, Sheila, I think it's okay for us on behalf of the entire community to congratulate her on her amazing achievements. But this achievement, as you say, 84 years old, directing her first do documentary, congratulations to, to her. 
Matt, as always, it's a pleasure. And uh, I will say again, at, at the risk of, of being uh, too praiseful of you, it's really remarkable at the end of the year to, to jump online and see that you have covered not only uh, every film that is on this short list, but so many other films that uh, did not make the list, but uh, got some praise, got some recognition, got some elevation because of your work. And frankly, everybody at Deadline. So thank you for all you do. I also just at the end of the year want to give a shout out to everybody um, and no studios for what they're doing, particularly Will, um, who is our um, production engineer, has been doing a fantastic job all year. So thank you to them. I personally want to wish everyone a really wonderful holiday season. I've been saying this now, I think, for three years. I wish everybody the best for next year. But 2024 is the year where we we come back to sanity. That's what I say. I hope so. I say we come back to sanity. Three cheers. And Matt... Um, just thank you. It's been remarkable. Um, I'm going to do lots of push-ups during the break so I can keep up with you next year. I'm going to beast up, as my son says. <laughs> I start watching Docs while I'm running up the stairs of the Philly Library. Um, thank you so much, <laughs> Matt. And on behalf, thank seriously, you, of the Doc community, thank you for your, your work this year. It's been well, amazing. I'm flattered, and I'm really looking forward to a full year of Doc Talk in 2024. And uh, early on, kicking it off with, with Sundance. So it'll be, it'll be good. Um, wishing all the best to all of you who are listening and all the best for next year. This is John Ridley along with Matt Carey for Doc Talk. We will see you later. Mm-hmm.